Welcome to a very special episode of Billy Elliot's Adventure Club, with this week being both International Women's Day and Mother's Day. That's right, everyone. It's Mother's Day this Sunday. Write it down. Don't forget, I always feel so much pressure to make Mother's Day the best for my mum. Anyone else? Anyone else? I don't know about you, but although it's not official... It is basically spring, so I think we can all rejoice in some good merriment for brighter times to come. It's been such a beautiful, beautiful week. Um, Today we have a totally jam-packed show as we talk all about the ocean with Russell Arnott, with help from our resident adventure club kids, B and Zach. Very exciting to be sharing that interview with you all with Russell Arnott. And then we also have an interview with incredibly inspiring Lewis Football Club women's player Katie Rood to commemorate International Women's Day this month. And to top that off, we showcase some beautiful sounds and words from multiple local women to explore womanhood and reclaim womanly power. Now, I don't know about you, but I think womanhood is a concept that has many sides it's almost hard to pin down what womanhood really means i think sometimes and let me tell you the music for that piece by annie elliott is a real real dream so i'm really looking forward to sharing that with you all as well cool what an exciting array of delights we have in store for you all let's dive straight in with our interview with incredible oceans very own russell arnott but first here's six-year-old b talking all about the ocean what is the best sea creature? Starfish. And why is that? Because it's the shape of a star and I love shooting stars. What's the coolest thing you've ever found on a beach? A fossil because it has all wrinkly lines on it and I like to feel it because it makes me feel very calm. What's your favourite seaside place to swim? Um, California. Have you been to California? No, so I imagine it might be nice because it's very sunny. Russell Arnott, an educational director and presenter of Incredible Oceans, has a passion for the marine. Oceans have got this man wrapped around his little finger. Russell, talk to us a bit about why oceans have got you where it hurts. I mean, ocean, it's it's amazing. It's massive and unknown and sometimes it's beautiful and flat and blue and warm and other times it's stormy and raging and dark and mysterious and we know so little about it. That's why it's totally sucked me in. I'd love to know more about how you got into oceanography and what that even means. Okay, so... It's one of those things where I was trying to figure this out myself and I found a load of books which I had as a kid that I'd written and stories that I came up with. And literally every single one was giant squids, sperm whales, mantis shrimps, (laughs) submarines and all these other crazy animals. Because, I mean, effectively, all the coolest animals live in the sea. 
So mm-hmm. this obviously started something at a young age. And uh, I was I was quite lucky to grow up in Dubai you know, like before Dubai came became what it is now. So when I lived there, it was three roads going through a desert. But I had access to this glorious like sea and beach, which was one road back from where I lived. So I just grew up snorkeling and fishing and just engaging with the ocean pretty much every day. So I recognised I had quite a, a skewed upbringing in that regard. Wow, very adventurous childhood then. Yeah, no, it was it was really adventurous. And like we were lucky that it was quite a safe place. So my mum just used to let us camp on the beach for the whole weekend. And it would just mm-hmm. be my mates in the tent and we'd just spend the whole time fishing and having barbecues and going snorkeling and surfing and just seeing what cool animals there were. And it's, I guess the sea creatures that we had there were very different. We had things like stingrays and puffer fish and needlefish and things like that, which were much more interesting than just like trout and pollock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I think, yeah, there was that, that kind of aspect really, yeah, I guess sunk in as well. I love that, that it came from a, a real, like a, a place of youth, you know, where you, where you grew up and it still lives on today. How did you get from being a child in Dubai, sort of camping on the, on the beaches and, and swimming with the puffer fish to, to, to where you are today? Well, I, I was really, really into art all through school and A-level, and I went on and did the first year of a fine art painting degree, and it wasn't quite what I expected it to be. I found it a little bit pretentious, and I also realised that I wasn't that good at art. (laughs) So I was thinking, like, well, what else could I do? And I remember sitting on the tube and seeing a a sign that said, we've only explored 2% of our ocean. And then I thought, well, hold on. The ocean covers 70% of the planet. Are you telling me that we don't know what's in 68% of the planet? That's nuts. And I thought, you know what? That sounds like a really cool thing to study. So I I quit um, quit my fine art degree and switched to oceanography down at uh, Southampton's National Oceanography Centre. So... And what does oceanography mean, Russell? So oceanography is broadly the, the study of the ocean. And so you just like you get the different disciplines in science, like physics, chemistry, biology. Most people are most familiar with biological oceanography or what we would call marine biology, which is like most people know, like marine biologists who study the animals there. But similarly, you can get uh, like uh, chemical oceanographers who look at chemistry and pollution and acidity and various other chemical compounds within the sea. Um, I was a physical oceanographer, so I was concerned with like waves, tides, uh, currents, things like that. You can also get people who are map the seafloor, who are hydrographers, people who are interested in the geology under the seafloor, marine geologists. So anything that you would study about any, any aspect of science, you can also study the ocean. And that's the broader study of, of oceanography. So. So interesting. What I love about you, particularly, Russell, is your ability to perform. You know, you you really bring science and arts and entertainment together into one. Um, I was really struck by the festival that you organise, Whale Fest. And I loved what you said at one of your talks about if you're ever on a date and it's not going that way, you can whip out one of these facts about this whale <laughs> and it, the date will be rejuvenated and you'll definitely get a second date. <laughs> 
Well, I, I think part of it, so I was, I was a secondary school science teacher for eight years and I was a physics teacher and you really have to, like physics is, is a tough one because it's so boring and irrelevant and difficult. So the kids enter the classroom with such low expectations. It's almost like <laughs> you have to foster this environment where it's actually quite cool to be a little bit nerdy and to show off these kind of weird facts that you know about stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe just because I'm a nerdy scientist, that's maybe how I've uh, salvaged dates that aren't going so well. So just passing that on to, <laughs> to other people. I think it's a brilliant tip, actually. And speaking of sciencey facts and nerd nerding out, I, I wonder what your or your interpretation of why octopuses are punching fish because this fact is coming out now. Do you know why? I mean, I I really love octopuses and I have an octopus tattoo and I do a talk about octopuses. And I I had Radio Four contact me and they said we understand that you're a, an octopus expert. I said I feel like I should clarify this in that I've never formally studied octopuses at all. But I, I really like them and people keep sending me articles about them, which I then weave into a talk, which I do. So they said, oh, that's too bad. Do you know any octopus experts? So I gave them the name of all, all these people to contact. Not one of them got back to them. So then Radio 4 said, can you be our octopus expert? And I was like, <laughs> OK. And then as soon as you go on Radio 4 as an octopus expert, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So now... <laughs> yeah, but everyone's contacting you now. Like, hi, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> So in terms of why do octopuses punch fish, um, essentially what we've realised is we're, we're very, I guess, used to thinking that animals are just animals and that all animals behave in a certain way and that all animals are driven by, you know, things like trying to find food and trying to, you know, mate. And what we've realised is the standard ways that we assess animal intelligence in all other animals, which is, OK, like do this task and then you'll get a reward and do this slightly more complicated task and get a reward. It doesn't work with octopuses because they have real, just like us and just like a prisoner or something that was being made to jump through hoops. They rebel. They get angry. They've all got very distinct personalities. Some are, are just douchebags and just, you know, don't play the game. Octopuses, like, you know, in pull the lever activities, they're more interested in, oh, can I dismantle the lever? What can I do? Can I annoy the scientist who's making me do these things? Uh, and similarly, the food reward that they're given isn't always that nice. So some of them are like, oh, that's really tasty. Other ones are like, I'm not eating this. I don't even like it. I'm not going to jump and perform for you for this rubbish food <laughs> snack. So um, so octopus is punching fish. It's just, I mean, sometimes it's because they just want to. The same reason why <laughs> some people punch other people. It's like they could just be like, oh, stupid fish. Poof. So... <laughs> Wow. And this is this all octopuses or is this any specific kind? Octopuses are ridiculously intelligent, like across the board. And obviously it does vary between species and species, like their lifespans and how long different ones last. And obviously the older you are, you're going to pick up more tricks and learn more ways of surviving and dealing with your environment. But on the whole, they are in ridiculously intelligent they're so intelligent you have to have a completely different set of laws on how to keep them and look after them and what you're allowed to do in terms of like dissections and medical stuff and it's more in line with uh 
a chimpanzee or like keeping monkeys in terms of their intelligence than it is to do with fish, which is where we normally kind of associate them. Wow, I didn't know that at all. Yeah. And interestingly, uh, Brighton Sea Life Centre, there is an amazing kind of cephalopod behavioural centre there. And they study uh, cephalopods is the, the name for like cuttlefish, nautilus, octopuses and squids. And yeah, they do a lot of work on cuttlefish intelligence. Kerry Perkins, who's based at Brighton Sea Life Centre, she is one of the Europe's leading cephalopod experts and does a lot of work in terms of their behaviour and intelligence. So, um, yeah, really lucky to have that place down in Brighton. Amazing. Ah, oh, so so great to hear that. I'm definitely going to check that out sometime when, when we can. In Billy Elliot's Adventure Club, we like to talk about adventure. And I think it's been so interesting to learn a little bit from you about um, octopuses. I was reading on your website, the Incredible Oceans website, that less than one in five UK children have ever visited the coast. That's absolutely like a completely bonkers statistic, in, in my opinion, as someone who just grew up around here. Can you talk to us a little bit more about Incredible Oceans and what they what their mission is? Yeah, well, certainly. Well, that, that one in five statistic sounds absolutely implausible because I'm like, how can you be like, like for example, in Brighton, OK, you, where you grow up next to the sea? Having been a teacher, I know colleagues who have taught in schools uh, in Falmer and and like at the, the north end of Molescombe. And they had 16 year olds in their class who had never seen the sea. And that's growing up less than 10 minutes from the sea. What? Yeah, like that, that is what we're dealing with across a country like the UK as the ninth largest island on Earth. You can never be more than an hour's drive from the sea. Yet only 20 percent of children have seen the sea. And that's and that's just looking at it. The next step is obviously to try and get people to interact with it and to swim with it and to realise what it does and what a like pivotal role it plays in everyday life and you realize what you're what we're up against in terms of trying to educate the masses about how important the ocean yeah. is talk to us a little bit more about how important the ocean is i'd love to hear it's so uh, there's always a lot of focus on oh how great the world's rainforests are in terms of biodiversity and in terms of like the, they're often called the lungs of the planet uh, but the ocean actually makes 80 percent of the oxygen that we breathe and people are like what I'm sorry, what? Mm-hmm. And that's because the ocean is full of single celled uh, plants called phytoplankton. And if you think about how big the ocean is, these plants are constantly pumping oxygen out, uh, which keeps us alive, which is quite useful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and similarly, because these these tiny little cells are also plants, they absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, which they then when they die, they sink with it and take it down into the deep ocean sediments. So it's estimates currently say about 25% of the excess carbon dioxide that we put into the atmosphere, about 25% of that has been absorbed by the ocean. Wow. So without the ocean, we would be experiencing much worse effects of climate change than we currently are. Looking at it in terms of an economic view, the amount of people who are supported directly and indirectly from jobs around the ocean, not just, I mean, that's not not even looking at food and tourism and all the rest of it. And you realise what an important role it plays. And now as we're getting into, you know, we've reached peak oil and we're coming out the other side of fossil fuels, looking at the ocean as a way to generate electricity, uh, as well as like putting wind turbines offshore, but looking at wave and tidal energy is also, uh, you know, 
coming into the into the future. So, so interesting. Um, Incredible Oceans then, their mission. I'd love to hear more about that. So our mission, So we started off, I got involved with Whale Fest that used to happen down in, it happened at various venues across Brighton and it kind of culminated at the Brighton Centre. And I think that was in 2016. And when, when that event happened, it, it became the largest marine festival on earth. And then there was 15,000 people a day attending it. Wow. And it was, you know, an amazing event to be part of and really great at building and consolidating this community of people that cared about the oceans and whales and dolphins and captivity issues. The problem was, is that all of those 15,000 people were effectively already super passionate about the ocean and knew about the issues surrounding it and were already doing their part, you know, to doing beach cleans and things like that. So it's like preaching to the choir. Exactly. So we thought we need to have a broader impact and that's where Incredible Oceans kind of came in. So we we started targeting non-self-selecting audiences, so audiences that don't care about the ocean or didn't know that they cared about the ocean. So we would take basically a smaller version of Whale Fest out to other events where you would least expect to see you know life-size inflatable whales so you know we went to like camping shows and outdoor shows and bike shows and music festivals and where people you know have got their guard down a little bit like come over to us like why have you why are you all dressed like mermaids <laughs> and got a, a, a giant whale i mean then you can start talking to people about it and they're like i did not know that yeah. and i guess as the as it's evolved we start to do more work with schools so we work quite closely with academics at different institutions and we train them how to speak about their science in a way that not only means that people can understand their science better but also a way that people will then hopefully act upon the facts that they've been given so it's all very well me you know saying x amount of plastic is going into the sea but then what's the next step to kind of give you the information in such a way that will cause you to change your behavior to sort mm. that out and and what's the magic what's the magic ingredients then for that so the, the magic ingredients is to realize that people come into three different categories broadly and so this is something called cultural dynamics and people can be divided roughly into three groups which are prospectors pioneers and settlers and this is really rough and massively generalizing and so the rough kind of divisions is a settler is very kind of cares about themselves and this is what we've seen with brexit and people being worried about immigrants coming in and taking them and how that's going to affect them so trying to using language to say like well you need to care about the ocean to a group like this you need to make it very self-centered and so maybe draw upon ideas of like health and mental well-being and what the ocean can directly do for them as an individual the next group are called prospectors and they care very much about social status and how they're perceived by others so for, for example this might be the people who have a reusable coffee cup but not because they care about the environment but they're more worried about <laughs> what other people will think of them if they don't have a reusable coffee cup and then finally, you've got the group of people which are called pioneers. And this tends to be kind of lefties, academics and people that think altruistically. And the problem that you traditionally have with environmentalists is that they think that just by saying it's bad for the environment, 
that is impetus enough for people to change their behavior. And that only works with a very small amount of people. So I guess it's part of it is about getting into other people's headspaces and understanding what drives other people and tailoring the messages and the phraseology and the focus of, of your points in order to resonate with the things that those people hold important. Super fascinating and makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> Do you find yourself um, having to plan around these types of people? Do you like create talks just for certain groups who, ha who are potentially pioneers or settlers or prospectors? Or do you just try and tailor to all these people at once? How does that work? To a degree, you can have a bit of an idea of the type of audience that you're getting. Mm -hmm. so, but something like a festival, which appeals to quite a broad range of people, you you have to, I guess, think on your feet a little bit, especially when you do like one to one interactions and maybe like put some feelers out and see what they resonate with and then kind of slowly tailor your conversation and your your phraseology towards that. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a lot to think about all at once. And it's, uh, you know, I, I certainly mess up all the time and I go into militant or, you know, whatever. And I mean, you are who you are. But I think it's it's been really useful and it's really helped me process, you know, all the Brexit and, you know, Trumpism and all the rest of it. When you start stripping it down and just seeing what drives people. And, yeah, to a degree has helped me understand humanity and I guess restore my faith in humanity a little bit mm. during these tough times. So. Mm. so interesting. Thank you so much for that, Russell. We're running out of time, Russell. And at the end of each interview on this show, I usually ask the guests to set a challenge for the audience. And this could be anything. Do you have any specific ocean theme challenge that you would like to set the audience? So I, I've got three, I think. Can I do th and it depends what mood you're in. OK, what I'll say to anyone going to the beach is if you're walking along the beach enjoying it, give something back to the beach. And if you find any rubbish, then do take that off. Like There's a, a movement called Take Three for the Sea. And if every single beach user took three pieces of plastic off the beach, the world would be a much better place. So that's my first challenge. Mm -hmm. my, my second challenge is to go to the far side of Brighton Marina at low tide because it's amazing rock pooling. And you will also see a really weird remnant of Volks Railway, which was this train on stilts that used to go through the water all the way down to Rottingdean. And unfortunately, the train on stilts was destroyed. You can see a model of it in Brighton Toy Museum. But the train tracks, which are the widest train line ever to exist on Earth, still exist and you can see them going through the water at extreme low tides on the far side of Brighton Marina. Wow, that's amazing. On the Rottingdean side. So literally, yeah. So if you go down there, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then my last kind of one, which I realise is, is quite involved. So I, I used to go snorkelling around the West Pier whenever I could. And it's amazing. You've got shoals of fish and lobsters and sea anemones and kelp forests and mussels and all kinds of flatfish. It's it's amazing. You've got like the best environment. It's like almost like a small natural reef and snorkeling round the West Pier is one of my happy places. I just absolutely love that structure and the habitats that it's made. So I would recommend to everyone to go round the West Pier. And even if you get into the water and it appears to be a little bit murky at first, uh, that little bit further offshore, quite often it clears up. So to go snorkeling around the West Pier is an amazing experience. 
Oh, three amazing challenges. So for anyone listening, Russell, where can they find you and more about the incredible oceans? Well, unfortunately, because of COVID, we haven't been able to go into schools or do any festivals for over a year now. So it would be amazing if everyone could check out our YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com slash incredible oceans. And on there, we release a weekly video. And the idea behind those videos is to help everyone just know a little bit more about the ocean. They're family orientated. They're good fun. Sometimes we've got home experiments. Sometimes we've got um, silly bits of information. But please tell everyone and go and subscribe and like and just enjoy the videos and hopefully take something away from them. Amazing, Russell. Thank you so much. Russell Arnott, it's been a brilliant pleasure and so interesting to talk to you today. Thank you so much for coming in. What is the coolest, best creature in the sea? Mm. Mosasaurus. Wow, but Mosasaurus aren't alive anymore now, are they? No. What? Sharks? And whale sharks. He is the biggest fish in the sea. Snap your jaw like this! What's the coolest thing you've found on the beach? Fossils. Fossils. You like finding fossils? Well, I don't like crabs. You don't like crabs? What is your favourite seaside or beach and place to go in the sea? Beach. Where's Zach's beach? The Maldives! The Maldives! Come aboard, sister. Radio Reefo. And that was four-year-old Zach closing off our fascinating chat with Russell Arnott from Incredible Oceans. And for an endless supply of fun and fascinating educational treats, you can check out Incredible Oceans on YouTube and learn more from Russell and the gang. Chris. Christine and the Queens with the song Girlfriend. And let me tell you, the official music video is amazing. Right, what have we got next? It's International Women's Day. Well, it was on Monday the 8th, but it's never too late to celebrate, especially when it's about women. But how should we do that at Adventure Club? I hear you cry. Well, hold on to your hats. Let me dig deep into my lucky dip of wonderful women. And, oh, 
Oh, what have we here? Katie Rude from Lewis Football Club. Cool, what an excellent pick. How truly fantastic. So for those of you who don't know, I have been interviewing the inspiring players of Lewis FC for their own podcast. It's a huge movement, you know, in Lewis. Lewis Football Club is actually making waves in gender equality in sports all over the world. Did you know that Lewis, as in Lewis, you know, just 10 minutes down the road, Lewis, Lewis FC is the first club to pay the women's team as much as the men. Did you also know that women were banned from playing football from 1921 because the men were jealous of how popular it got? But you know how long that ban lasted for? 1921 till 1971. Literally in the 70s, women were not allowed to play football. Well, I didn't know that either. Here's Katie Rood telling us all about her adventure moving all the way from New Zealand to play football. Cool, that's quite a way for a game, eh? New Zealand vegan forward Katie Rood allegedly once scored a goal purely because a Lewis FC director, Karen Dobre, wafted a Greg's vegan sausage roll behind the net at Aston Villa. That veganism, Karen says, goes from her nose to her toes. But what else strikes us about Katie Rude? Katie, how are you doing? Oh, classic Karen. <laughs> I love her. I'm doing good, thank you, Billy. How are you? I absolutely love it. Just before I start interviewing anyone, I always give Karen a little text. I say, Karen, just give me any kind of background information I should know about the people I'm about to interview. And she always gives me funny one-liners. and It's great. And I am good, thank you, to answer your question. I'm great. She's also asked me to ask you something, uh, a question, which we'll reveal later, um, keeping people on their toes and keep the listeners listening. I wonder what Karen Dobro wants me to ask you. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Um, firstly, though, let's call you Rudy because that's what you prefer and that's what everyone seems to know you as. I'd love to hear, Rudy, your story of how you got here from the very beginning of when you started playing football. Ah, you got some time? <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> this was a 20 minute no. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I was lucky enough to grow up in New, the north of New Zealand um, and a super, super sporting town. And um, so I grew up playing every sport under the sun until eventually I got a bit older and I kind of couldn't keep up all the commitments. So it, I narrowed it down to football and field hockey. And eventually I realized that football could kind of also have the opportunity to travel with and kind of see the world in a, in a different light. It's just more of a global game than hockey. So I decided that's what I wanted to pursue. And um, yeah, I guess my first big move was coming to England in 2012 when I was 19. And I played for Lincoln Ladies in the uh, WSL back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a super cool experience to be playing with all these amazing England and Great Britain internationals and just as a kid from the other side of the world not really knowing what the standard would be like it definitely gave me a good insight into um, the league and the ability here and also my own ability and what life was like in the world so um, when I went back to New Zealand to get my bachelor's degree I uh, yeah I knew that one day I would probably return and I was just going to go home and work as hard as I could to make it into the national team and then hopefully come back out when I was ready to be pro again. Mm-hmm. And it took a little longer than expected, but in 2017, I got the opportunity to trial at Juventus, which was just a dream come true, really. So I, I packed my bags and 
quit my full-time job and moved off to Italy for a season, which was just a whirlwind of a time. Wow, yeah. Uh, yeah, then after that, ended up in Bristol and eventually found my way here to Lewis on loan and uh, haven't looked back since. It's been two years now since I've been here. Yeah, you really strike me as someone who is really loving Lewis. It's hard not to when we finally, uh, you know, the team's improving each week and I mean, we miss the crowds so much, but um, no, the, the community and the feel around the club is yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Wow, what a story. And it sounds like a very exciting one as well. I mean, the fact that you come from New Zealand, I mean, it's just a really long way to come, isn't it? When you're sort of, what was it, 19 in 2012? And then what takes you about five years to come back? Well, starting in Italy, you've gone to Bristol and you come down here. It must have been a very exciting time. Yeah, it's... Um... I just, yes, kind of see football as an opportunity to learn about myself and the world and meet heaps of amazing people along the way and, uh, yeah, get to, to do the thing that I love and push to be my best each week. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just worked out in a way that has kind of helped me see the world and, yeah, have some really cool experiences within it. I love that you said that about football being a platform for you to just learn more about yourself. Hmm. What kind of things do you think you've learned through football? I think um just having to engage and um live in, in new and different cultures. Um I think well actually just because New Zealand's so small and so far away, you know, to be able to reach the levels that I hope to reach, I've had to, to move away from home at an early age and be quite far away from a family and friends and kind of just yeah, left to my own devices a bit to try and try and get through it. Luckily there's always been wonderful people around to kind of support and encourage me along the way but I think you learn a lot about yourself when you have lots of challenges to kind of overcome and when you throw yourself into a new environment there's always there's always things to learn. I love that that kind of growth mindset really helps people to become I think very successful and effective in all sorts of ways. Also something about you Katie, sorry Rudy, how very rude of me. Um, <laughs> and also something about you Rudy that you're, you're really sort of you've got a very staunch vegan values and it seems that you have a huge interest in eco-justice issues. Do you see that any kind of overlaps with football in your life? Yeah, I mean, initially I didn't. Initially it was just I love football and I wanted to see the world. But the more of the world that I've seen, the more that I've realised that it's not quite in the state that I had hoped to see. You know, I grew up watching David Attenborough documentaries and just dreaming of seeing this beautiful natural world everywhere I go and the reality is that not a lot of it is there anymore and it's been quite startling and quite shocking to me to discover this the more that I travel you know there's very few places no matter how remote you go where you don't see um, how humans have kind of impacted them Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah that's kind of opened my mind and my heart to to change my ways and try I mean, it's hard to do, you know, we're in this society where even just by living, you you kind of create this big footprint on the world. But I think within it, there's room for each of us to kind of do the best that we can and encourage others to do the same along the way. So and football is obviously a huge global culture, really, isn't it? It's played all across the world and it it's played by and not just played but you know there's refs there's supporters there's management there's admin people from all walks of life um that Mm -hmm. love football and I think if we can use that as a kind of common theme to bring people together and make positive change for the world then that would be pretty cool 
I think that's a great a great point actually that you know football is basically a huge platform right and mm. and I love that you're being so vocal about your veganism or even just the state of the world in general not even your views really I mean they are but they're also reality <laughs> Thank you. so yeah you're incredibly incredibly passionate about these things I'd really like to know more about really you behind the closed doors um seeing as this is behind closed doors in terms of what you do outside of football what what do you enjoy doing and you can be as honest as you like really <laughs> I try to be honest most times I <laughs> well what i'm saying is you can just say watching netflix and we won't judge you that's basically what i mean <laughs> well yeah with this lockdown it, it has stifled a lot of my opportunities to go and explore far and wide um mm-hmm. Like I had this sick cottage with my boyfriend booked up in Scotland for Christmas and we just mm. were so excited to go up there and that didn't happen. But mm. no, I, I love an adventure. I love exploring, like just trying to find the most naturally <laughs> untouched places basically to just see what's still left out there in the world. And mm-hmm. I love just getting out there in nature and walking the hills and finding the trees and seeing the animals. Yeah. Um, also love just watching documentaries too. <laughs> I love what you were saying about when you were a kid, you you watched um, David Attenborough documentaries. I actually believe that there are parts of us and parts of our values and our interests that just stay with us throughout our whole life. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking how, how I'm not sure how old you are, Billy, but I don't think you're too much younger than me. And we, um, I, I know everybody I grew up with was just obsessed with the Amazon rainforest, mm-hmm. like just itching to go there to see there all the animals there the plant life and stuff mm-hmm. and now you know the only amazon people talk about is the the, the company <laughs> yeah right it's such so much change so much okay so you're from new zealand i mean karen tells me you play for lewis and new zealand yeah the last few times i've been traveling with new zealand which is pretty cool wow. um I went to China, Spain, Portugal. That was beautiful. And so, yeah, but at the moment, obviously, New Zealand, our players are spread around all across the world. And it's just Mm -hmm. impossible for us to get together to play with this new COVID landscape at the moment. So um, it's been pretty quiet on the international front. But the positive is it's given me more time with uh, my Lewis teammates, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the COVID climate that you mentioned, how has it been for you guys to be playing behind? closed doors recently with no audience yeah you know we're so so grateful that we still get to train and play because we realize that that's not the reality for a lot of people who have passions um and we yeah we realize that we're we're in the minority there and we're super super grateful every time we get to kind of step out on the pitch together um but it but it is difficult too you know like we're we're a team we're a lot of us are away from home and that that team is the closest thing we have to family yet we can't go to each other's house and have a cup of tea or hang out and watch the mm-hmm. game back together and if we are indoors we're all having to wear masks and things like that so mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's not <laughs> it's not always easy a lot of the the fun stuff isn't isn't there anymore but we're pretty good at making the most of of what we do have because again we we know how grateful and fortunate we are to be playing yeah, that's something actually I've really found with a lot of people in the last year. There's a sense of gratitude is really from many people vamped up a notch or two, you know, people really noticing what they're kind of really grateful for at the moment. Yeah, I, that's one of the big positives I found, too, is that a lot of people actually finally had the time to kind of slow down and even just get out and explore the places that they're in to a degree mm-hmm. that they hadn't before. And 
I think with that sense of connection to the place around you, you can't help feel more grateful for your day to day. Especially when we live somewhere like Lewis. Which mm, is... It's gorgeous. So you've sort of told us a, a bit about how how you've got to where you've got to now. And it's been really interesting to hear about kind of your interests and what you're passionate about. Just thinking about your football career in general, what do you think your greatest challenge has been so far? <laughs> um, Probably just to keep going. I think when I went back to New Zealand in 2013, I my goal was to try and play for the national team, and I was close to it. I was in and around the setup. I was training with them every day for about, yeah, five years. <laughs> and every time it got to crunch time where the team was selected, I was never chosen. And I didn't know if I could also become a pro having not played for New Zealand because it was such a small country I didn't know and women's football wasn't huge I didn't know whether the opportunities would still be there for a player from New Zealand who hasn't played for the country yet um Mm -hmm. but I just I just kept going I felt that I'd kind of committed so much time to football that it would be a waste to to stop before before Mm -hmm. I had to really and um yeah I found every time that I decided to keep going in some cool opportunity would come along (laughs) like um going to Italy that was so out of the blue and just an absolute miracle really (laughs) I love it when that kind of thing happens when you really don't expect it as well yeah okay so you kind of explained a little bit about sort of something that's maybe been quite hard in, in your career in terms of carrying on and persevering what would you say if you were looking at your highs and lows in general are there any particular events that come to mind yeah, a couple of highs were probably like scoring against Chelsea the other last year, I think it was, um, at home at Lewis with the home crowd, um, mm-hmm. to make it one all at the time. That was pretty special. Although they came back and scored, which kind of <laughs> put a bit of a damper on it, but, um, we were all pretty proud of our performances that day. That must have been so nice as well, having all the fans as well. Yeah. Game. Those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also probably scoring for for my country was pretty cool one having persevered for so long to finally get a goal for New Zealand was was really special super cool any more lows ah uh, yeah there were probably, there's just been plenty of lows injuries when i first moved out of home i moved 2 hours to Auckland to try and make it into the under 20 team the New Zealand under 20 team and a week before the team was selected i found out that i had a stress fracture in my foot so it was effectively broken and i couldn't go to the world cup mm. um and so all my friends went off and left me behind um no, it must've been gutting yeah that was my first big like struggle i was at a new school new town I I didn't really know anyone there I didn't have a lot of support and yeah it was it was really tough to get through because it was also the first time that I wasn't able to exercise either yeah right yeah, it was a bit of a shock to the system but every time I've had to navigate something like that I feel like I get through it better and stronger each time and just mm-hmm. more confident in myself to be able to take the next challenge on I definitely get a sense of confidence from you when I talk to you actually Rudy oh, and I think you need to be don't you yeah you know I'm, I'm on the other side of my the world I haven't I haven't been home for two years and I've yeah. missed it every day but I just got to kind of get on with it you know yeah it's totally not another option right now so yeah totally so this is a question that I often are uh, well I have asked everyone so far and sometimes people feel a bit awkward, but I love asking it because I think it's good to be self-appraising. Um, what do you think you bring to the game, Rudy? <laughs> um, I think um, specifically, like physically, I think I, I bring speed and um, agility and 
just an attacking mentality, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I, I think that's that's on the pitch. I think off the pitch, hopefully, I've had to work on it lately because I was struggling a bit at the end of last year, but um, just trying to be a positive teammate and encouraging mm-hmm. and trying to, like, just lift standards as much as possible. And I guess, yeah, just a bit of a different perspective. I don't think uh, there's too many players that are kind of talking about things you know like the things we've discussed already I think um just trying to yeah just open up people's minds a bit with what's going on in the world that's something I try and bring to the game as well yeah I love that that's cool that's a really cool answer thanks thanks really okay are you ready for Karen's surprise question <laughs> let's hear it <laughs> um Karen Dobray the one of the directors of Lewis FC has asked me to ask you basically what Kiwis call flip-flops and charity shops apparently it's very weird <laughs> not very weird maybe flip-flops and charity shops are weird <laughs> look I'm just the messenger I didn't say it <laughs> And jandals and op shops are perfectly normal. <laughs> jandals for foot. Uh, okay. Which I think is fine because <laughs> if you hear what Australians call jandals, I mean flops, then you'll be in for a shop. Oh, like- yeah, they do. They call them bombs. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, when I first came to, to England, I was friends with um, an Australian girl who was telling our coach one time about these new thongs that she bought. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of them knew what was going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. And what's charity shops, did you say? We call them op shops. Opportunity shops. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's so nice. That's much, much better than charity shops. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, I'm looking at the time, Rudy, and I'm thinking, yeah. let's get, let's get on to the last question. Yeah. I mean, it's got, it's gone fast. Um, this is the same one I ask for everyone as well, because I think it's really inspiring hearing you all and all your stories. Would there be any words of encouragement for anyone who might be in a position where they're striving for something? Perhaps it's against the odds for them to be striving for it, like it can be sometimes with women in football. Do you have any words of encouragement for these people? Yeah, no, I, I would say just to to continue to do that thing that, that really lights you up and inspires you and um Makes you excited to get out of bed each day because life's just short. And if you can do that and bring some good into the world and share your gift, then that's, that's a great thing. But it's not always easy. In fact, sometimes it's, it's harder. Sometimes the easy thing is to quit and it's harder to continue. But if you know in your heart that that's the thing that you're destined to do, that you want to do and that, yeah, you've, you've put your, your life into doing, then I think crack on because you just never know where it might take you you know brilliant wise words from rudy there can always count on you for some reflective wisdom thank you rudy it's been brilliant to chat wonderful billy thank you so much for doing this for us too we really appreciate you sharing our stories oh no i'm just absolutely loving the process it's super fascinating and purely selfish (laughs) well good you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you Just a bit of a break from the dawn. Radio Rebub. 97.2 FM.
I've been absolutely loving interviewing the Lewis Football Club players. Lewis FC being the first football club in the world to pay the women's team as much as the men, by the way. Such huge movers and shakers for gender equality in sport. You can listen to other episodes in this series by searching Behind Closed Doors at Lewis FC on Spotify. There are really some true gems in there. We keep them pretty short, maximum 20 minutes or so. And we have some really good chats of just incredibly inspiring the football players just kind of ooze this amazing energy and just sense of motivation comes in spades right it's international women's day and what better way to round up this delicious springtime show than with a bit of soulful mystical music from annie elliott and some words from a wonderful collection of fab women here's i reclaim a celebration of women for international women's day women are emotional and being emotional is a good healthy thing that's good for society and it's good for decision making and it's good for ourselves I think above all being a woman means being incredibly strong formidable even whilst also being deeply nurturing and compassionate complete power combo I'm proud to be a woman because I know that I stand with thousands of millions of women around the world who come together who connect who make positive change to be a woman means to stand with one another and create powerful communities Um, I don't think I've ever not been part of a strong female network of friends which I am super grateful for and it's those women who lift me up who motivate me who empower me and I am so proud to call them my friends and I'm also so amazed when I meet new women from other places and ability to connect with one another and I think that that is part of being a woman I feel like we've been socialized to be ashamed to be a woman um so it's kind of an act of defiance to be proud and being a woman isn't something to be ashamed of um you should be able to embrace everything that makes you soft and strong and all parts of you I've experienced a certain kind of listening when I'm in a group of women, but there's some kind of attunement that happens. There's a huge diversity of people who are women, and we make space for each other. That's something to be proud of. I think women are amazing. I think we do everything for everyone. We grow children, we look after people, we are the carers of the world, we're the people that make everybody better. I think women are great at supporting each other and being 
sort of part of this web of people that help everybody along the way and support each other as well as their children and their elderly family and doing all of those sort of working jobs but we support each other as a network we hold each other up and I think that's really special I think it's something that men could really really learn a lot from This was quite a difficult question to reflect on actually because the question to me being a woman means being in a state of constant flux um, a cyclical being and it can be really intense too as we are complex beings but I feel like there's this power and struggle going on in the way that society exists so I still feel that being a woman in this world can be a challenge and I sometimes or at least I used to feel like I wasn't woman enough <laughs> um, I feel quite masculine sometimes um, then super fluid and I kind of the more I reflect the more I feel like proud of this now I used to feel like I wasn't girly enough at school and that thought to me now just doesn't resonate with me at all and it's kind of like this balance between masculine and feminine but yeah it, it can be difficult to have categories I think and having a binary because I feel like I don't really know where I fit in actually sometimes so been reflecting on this and yeah I'm proud to be a woman because my experience of the world relating as a woman is like this constant unraveling of my intuition and learning about my cycle has been really powerful yeah there's a lot of pain as well but I feel like I'm just starting to see it as a gift because we get to release every month like all of our emotional build up and any stress and physically we release that whole month of the womb lining storing any trauma or yeah stress it's kind of like this time where we're allowed in this kind of patriarchal society where women well getting to that point but I feel like we're allowed to just stop and slow down what's really struck me about this project is all the women who have attempted to answer these questions have said that it was very hard to define womanhood I mean for me trying to define womanhood is impossible I really can't do that I think because womanhood is such an individual experience I mean my experience of being a woman probably rests fairly heavily on also being into women and being romantically connected to women 
and in being romantically connected to women i think womanhood identity and masculine and feminine energy is questioned and challenged automatically almost so i guess i i all i know is that i feel like a woman but i don't know if i can grasp what that really means maybe ask me in 50 years or something maybe i'll know better then that i just love annie elliott's work with the loop pedal thank you to all the women who are involved in that project charlotte west gabby biazotti fares hawksworth maddie broad joe headland and annie elliott and uh, that was produced and directed by yours truly you can find more on my website billyelliottsound.com right that's all we have time for today what a show adventuring the ocean with russell arnott katie rude from new zealand to lewis and diving deep into womanhood what an adventure have a lovely march everyone playing us out is four-year-old zach followed by sorceress jenny haval see you next month for some april foolery in the ball the sea, and a shark in the hole in the ball the sea, and a shark in the hole in the ball the sea, red hole, red hole, and hole in the ball the sea. Space, space, space.